Hi. Welcome back <laughs> to This Is Not Church After Dark. Do you have your glass of Hennessy? you have your glass of Cravassier? Western Christianity has spent the last 2,000 years telling everyone they're separated from God. This is Not Church with John and Nat Turney. Hey, everybody. This is Nat Turney. Uh, welcome back to this podcast that we have so lovingly referred to as This Is Not Church. Um, as we keep talking about, maybe we'll change it one day to This Ain't Your Mama's Church. Uh, but I'm not <laughs> sure that John and I can pull that particular thing off. But Probably not. We are, man, we are, we are really, really uh, happy to have our next guest. I, didn't re- I did not intentionally not introduce John, although now it feels very intentional. So screw you. No introduction for you. <laughs> My brother John is with me here. Hey, John. Hello. Hello. Okay. Um, we are, man, <laughs> all silliness aside, uh, man, we're just stoked to have Alexander John Shia back with us. This is a, a man who we have come to uh, respect a great deal and whose voice I think is an important one. We've interviewed him once before. Uh, you absolutely, if you haven't heard that, um, you should probably stop what you're doing, go back, listen to the first episode, and then come back and pick up on more greatness. But our friend here has just returned from... Uh, another amazing trip down the Camino de Santiago, and we're going to get all kinds of information about that. Um, he's an author of many really uh, incredible books. We're talking about a, uh, a new course that he's fixing to launch here in a couple of months. So there's just a lot of stuff to, to get through today, and we're excited to have him on all the way from the uh, windy, windy Pacific Northwest-esque part of Spain where he lives. <laughs> I didn't say Pacific Northwest. You thought I was going to stumble, mess that up, but I did. I did. I really I, did. I know. I know the man's in Spain. That's why I'm so supremely jealous over here. I'm like, man. Well, yeah. Anyway, without any further ado, uh, just want to welcome our guest. Thank you, sir, for being here with us. Welcome. Love it. <laughs> How's that for? Most people could have heard the last ten minutes, but it's great to be here. <laughs> oh man oh john did this to me it's his fault he's like yeah, you know, know. just know. run with it i'm like anytime you give me something that's unscripted you're god knows what's gonna happen man well any um, anybody who's 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 come along this journey with us and her has heard me try to stumble through some sense of an introduction knows that there's certain things that you're good at and certain things that you're just not good at and i'm not good at introductions i just I, yeah. Hey, before we get started, John, an idea. Uh oh. One day we need to interview somebody like Chris Farley does or used to do on Saturday Night Live, <laughs> and just be like, "Hey, remember, 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 remember when, that one time that one when time? you went on the Camino? Remember? <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, let's do that as a special. All right. Anyway, hey, let's just jump right in. A lot of our, a lot of our listeners, um. Some may be familiar with the Camino. I bet a lot of them really aren't. John and I are relatively new to all of this. Um, and I, man, it, it, it's something I would very much love to do someday. But if you would, maybe just like give us a, an overview of what that process looks like. Well, so, so I just returned from my ninth journey on the Camino. This year Ooh, was wow. 70 days of walking. Uh, and at the end of that process, I don't really know who I am. So I was hoping that you would introduce me so I could remember. (laughs) But but the basics are, it is a walk. um, The end of the journey is a walk across the north of Spain, Mm. ostensibly to the tomb of the Apostle St. James, which is in Santiago de Compostela. 
Wow. Okay. That's the Christian uh, variation on this. What's also true is that the ancients of Europe followed this journey going back six, seven thousand years. Wow. So there's an ancient journey that we're not quite sure why they were walking it. And then there's the Christian understanding of all that very same journey to the tomb of St. James. Okay. So it, this is a multi-layered experience, and people do it for every reason. In the, I mean, people do it for religious reasons. They do it for health reasons, time out, um, in, in be- between life events, trying to figure themselves out, etc. So there, people come on this walk for almost every possible reason that you would do any walk. Okay. So what what's the length of this? And I know there's more than one way to do it, right? So there's, I mean, not everyone starts at the same place and you can... So. There's no starting place. I mean, there somebody uh, did a really good PR job uh, a couple of decades ago and talked about starting at the last village in France and walking to Santiago or walking beyond Santiago to the ocean where I am. Uh, but there's no start line, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> there's really not a finish line either. So you start where you start. I mean, people have started in Russia. People have started in China. Wow. Um, the people have walked across the United States, got on a plane or a ship, come to Spain, and then walked across Spain. And other people not only walk here, but then they also walk back home. Oh, wow. So you can, you can walk a day. You can walk a few years. You could be like Forrest Gump and just run and run and run. Yep. Sorry, that was that was yep. that was un, that was unfortunate. Well, I, I mean, that being said, though, I mean, is there is there a more traditional? Well, I don't even want to say I don't want to say traditional. Is there a more like main route that most people do take? There is. Yeah, um, and th- th- we're going to say this in two pieces. The most usual route that people walk now is called the Camino des Frances, which is the Camino that comes in through France. That starts in the last village of France, Saint Jean Pierre de Port. Uh, goes up and over the Pyrenees, makes a turn, goes across the north of Spain, ends up in Santiago, and then people can walk another three or four days uh, to the ocean. That's the most usual route, and that route is walked today in a in a in a non-COVID year. A couple of hundred thousand people walk that route. Wow! Wow! Um, the last non-COVID year was 400,000 people. Ooh, wow. This past year, a COVID year, it ended up being about 150,000 people. Now, from, from your perspective, does that make it slightly less congested? Because I, I have heard from some that there are times when you're walking that thing when it's like, man, there's just like, there's a lot of people out there. You kind of go there to, to get some solitude and to find some space and you find yourself <laughs> you know, surrounded by other pilgrims. Now, I've I've always chosen to walk either in the springtime or in the fall time, and I've there's never been an issue of crowds. Walking in July and August, I hear is extremely crowded in terms of finding places to stay at night. Oh yeah, okay. But the the Camino was so long, you just. You start walking, and you may start walking with a, a small group of people, and you walk 20 minutes, and you look around, and where did everybody go? Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. So the other piece, the other piece I, I, I want to mention, besides sort of the, 
the last village in France, uh, there's something called a compostellum, which is a certificate that you get in Santiago if you have walked 100 kilometers. This is greatly prized in Spain. In fact, there are government jobs in Spain that you can't apply for unless you have a compostela. Wow. So there's a whole wing of villages about 100 kilometers out of Santiago, which is a start place for people who want this beautiful certificate sort of diploma from the Catholic Church at the cathedral in Santiago. And it's called a compostela. So that's the other side. For people who want the Compostela, you must have walked 100 kilometers, and you must have walked the last 100 kilometers. It doesn't okay. matter if you walked 100 kilometers somewhere else in Spain. You, have, you must have walked the last 100 kilometers before <laughs> Santiago. Gotcha. Right, so if you, if you walk the entire thing from, and I know, again, the entire thing is a, is a, is a misnomer. Yeah. Apparently, but, I mean, but say you start with the quote-unquote more traditional route, last village in France, and all the way to Santiago de Compostelo, 500 miles? About, about 500 miles. It's about, a, about, about 800 kilometers, which is a little bit more than 500 miles. Wow, that is a, uh, that's a haul, man. It, it is, and, and some idiot like me um, <laughs> does it even longer. Now, I, I, I have a very wonderful life at this point. I can take the time. But I don't walk one day a week. I keep a Sabbath when I walk for, for physical and psychological reasons. Yeah. I discovered for myself, it just, I don't want this to be a marathon. I don't want it right. to be a race. I want, I really want to take a day out just to kick back and enjoy where I am. Um, so for me, I do, uh, if I'm going to do 70 days, which I just did, that's over nine weeks. Yeah. It's a, it's a good long, it's a good long time. Yeah. That's actually the only the only thing that keeps me from doing it at this point because yeah. I've thought about it. Brian Zahn was the first one I, I heard talk about it. And uh, his rationale for doing it was, aside from the fact that he's a bit of a, he, he just likes stuff like that. He likes to climb mountains and rocks and do stuff. And so it's outdoorsy and it's a challenge. But we were just about to enter into an election cycle here. And I remember him saying, I just don't want to be here. I just, so he just, he, he and his wife purposed to like it, just leave the country, let that process play out, preserve what was left of his peace and just walk this. And I think that was the first time he walked it. And I remember thinking to myself, that would be amazing. That sounds great. I wish I had, you know, two and a half months or, or whatever, however long it takes a month and a half to, to, to do that. That's just the, the difficulty is that is that's a big time commitment. To do as much as I do. Yes. Yeah. But you don't need to do that. I mean, people come and they do 100 kilometers. Uh, people come over a series of years. They take two weeks out and come over a series of years and walk a stretch, go home, come back, pick up the next year where they stopped the year before, etc. So what I find so valuable is that sense of, of the world, of quote unquote, the world stopping. Yeah, unless you're really proficient in Spanish, uh, you don't really know the news that's going on unless somebody tells you. For me, the great challenge is when I walk in the fall time, I don't even know what, what's happening in college football, which is one of my great passions. Right. So you just, it's like for me this year, the world stopped in the last week of August and it picked back up again in, in the middle of November. And I had all that news that went on without me. Yeah. 
And the sense of being present to yourself and to the world and to each other is amazing. Now, when you when you do this, you you're you're taking people with you, right? I mean, you're 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 guiding um, others on this journey as well. Now I am. I walked for myself in the year 2012. Mm, okay. But starting in the year 2015, I have taken a group of uh, seven, eight, nine people with me. Yeah, that that actually appeals to me. I mean, the uh, the prospect of doing it the first time alone, especially, would be like, okay, there's a lot to. There might be a lot of moving parts. There are a lot of moving parts. So it, that appeals to me. So when it is time to go, uh, I think you and I will walk this together. It'll be a whole lot of fun. But um, cool. I'm going to have to buy some new shoes first because I suspect <laughs> that, that, that my new um, footwear fetish of Hey Dudes are not going to stand up to the trip. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it does sound, it sounds awesome. I, I did something that I tell everybody else not to do this year and it actually worked out. And as I... Uh, just a couple of weeks before I left, I bought a new pair of uh, of, of new boots, um, kind of the barefoot boot. Mm, okay, uh, loved it. I did not have the blisters that I usually have. I don't quite know why. Hmm. Um, walking in new boots, yeah. But, but what happened was, I used muscles in my leg that I've never used before. I would never have imagined that that small change. And not having a heel would oh, yeah. be that large of a of an impact on my body. Yeah, there is a uh, there's some spiritual application to that. Maybe. Yeah, I don't maybe. know if I would if I if I was uh, any kind of preacher at all, I could find an illustration for that. But <laughs> but I but I'm not, so it's okay. Man, I just, I there's so many questions. I, I don't want to I don't want to get bogged down in the in the mechanics of it. But that all of that stuff does it opens up that Pandora's box of, okay, well, actually, well, how much stuff do you carry with you on a, on a trip like this? Because you, you, you're, presumably you're stopping every evening someplace, right? So right. Um, on, on, the, on the Camino, do you stay in hostels or do you stay? So there, there, there are two answers. And okay. there's what I did for myself alone in 2012, which is I stayed in the hostels. They're called refugios or albergues here which are places that pilgrims can stay and you have to have a, you have to be a registered pilgrim to stay in these places and you register where you start and you get a, a little book of it's called your credential and you show it when you check into the hostel and they stamp it but in 2015 when I started bringing people with me and we wanted to do morning meditation and sort of a quiet evening time sharing, I discovered that we couldn't do the hostels because there was no place to be private. Yeah. So now we stay in what are called rural farmhouses. They're sort of basic, but, but beautiful, simple, uh, almost like bed and breakfasts. Oh, okay. Uh, so the, so they have a cost to them, which is much, which is much more than the hostels and in the albergues. So in 2012, the whole, the whole time staying in the hostels, since then staying in these Kosovo walls and small hotels. And secondly, in 2012, I carried my pack. Yeah. Um, which was, uh, just under, I'm trying to think it was, it was, uh, uh, just under 20% of my body weight. That was so it was, uh, 30 some odd pounds. Okay. And, uh, is that right? Or 40, 40 pounds. And, but since 2015, 
we use a luggage service. So people walk with the day pack and have their large bag transported every day. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I didn't know that was possible. That sounds, see, now I would do that. <laughs> I, it, I mean, I've done it both ways, and there are people who really believe you have to carry your pack to be a pilgrim. Now, I've done it both ways. I don't, I, I find that I have more energy for the interior reflection I want because I'm not quite so exhausted by the day. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I would imagine that. I mean, I mean, it's painful enough. I mean, you know, the, the stuff I've heard from people who, you know, obviously, if you if you if you're not if you're not used to walking, you know, at that rate, at that anyway, your your, your muscles will be sore. You're, I know I, everyone talks about their feet. Here, here's one of the things I learned in 2012 because um, I decided to come to Spain on very short notice. I had this huge speaking. I mean, my my speaking engagements are usually booked about a year or more out, and I had this heavy schedule in the fall of 2012. And one by one by one in August of that year, it all disappeared for various reasons. And I was really ticked off to the polite word. And, <laughs> um, and finally, somebody said, Shia, you've just been given 90 days. What, do you, what can you do with 90 days? And immediately I knew, walk the Camino. And so from the decision... So the day I started walking was 12 days. Oh, wow. So that's like almost no preparation. I was not in in the physical shape that I would hope to be to do it. But I had the key thing, which was I didn't have a schedule. I knew I'd given myself a lot of time. And I had an open ticket when I would come back to the States. So I, I started out very slowly. And remember those first couple of days, all these buff 20-year-olds were just passing me <laughs> like I was standing still. And I really started to get down on myself. Well, you know what happened was a month later, I was passing them. Ah, uh, okay. Because they had the adrenaline going, very, very muscled, very athletic, doesn't matter on the Camino. Um, this this is the tortoise wins the race on the Camino. The people yeah. who know how to measure themselves and plan for the long haul. So many athletic people push really hard that first week, and they end up limping the rest of the way. Yeah, and that, that can't be good, man. I can't imagine like even a slight injury or a blister or something like that would that must really I mean especially if you've got 300 miles to go it's like man you got to get up every day and do this that's got to take some some commitment but it seems like the there might be I'm sure there's more than two and I'm I'm really generalizing when I say this like there's different types of people who are deciding to go on this and maybe some of those people are doing it more for the what's the word the challenge of it right to Absolutely. just to, just to walk just to say I I walked 500 miles and what? So you can sing that song? Yeah, so you can sing the song. By, uh, I don't remember the name of the band. Don't do it. Don't do <laughs> it. Don't get it in your it. head. Um, uh, it's already in my head. Damn it. And then there's you know <laughs> others, I think, who are doing it. For- because it's a bucket list athletic thing, because yeah. it's a, a physical challenge. And then there are people that do it for health reasons. Right. And there are people that do it to get in shape. Mm, okay. Then there are people who do it for spiritual, and then people who do it for very deeply held religious beliefs. Right. 
so where do you where do you fall on that spectrum? Was it for you? Was it was it sort of a an, a time of introspection and 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 a way to kind of go a little more interior? Was that kind of, or or was it just kind of some was it something else? No, it, it was. I had my major book published by Harper One in 2010. Mm, okay, and here I was, a new author at the highest level of publishing. And I got chewn up and spit out by the whole PR process of that journey. And they sent me everywhere talking about my work and I got a lot of pushback and really I lost myself and I didn't know who I was and I didn't know what I had to say anymore because everybody else was in my head. I needed a spiritual retreat. And I, I needed a significant time out. Uh, and I knew that I also needed to do something that was physical. And everything that I had read about Spain, and I'd never been to Spain, and I'd never done the Camino, but I had the sense that there is something here, and I don't quite know how to describe it. It's more than just a walking route. There is there's a feeling. There's a presence. There is something here. And maybe it's millions upon millions of people who have walked this, praying it and searching for something and have left their spirit here. Maybe it's something in the ground here. One of the things that people forget is that Spain is the oldest Christian country outside of the Middle East. St. James came to Spain before almost anybody else left Palestine. Yeah, people do forget that. I mean, we it always feels so very European that we forget, you know. We, we, we've passed places on the Camino that have had a Christian community since the first century. Yeah, it's amazing. There is something about that, about that history that is, uh, that's, that's very compelling. I've never been to your part of Spain, but I have been to Spain. So years and years ago, I was on the southern coast. Yeah. Um, for language training. I was a Spanish linguist and I, I got to, de- I got to uh, design my own, what we called in the Air Force, a significant language training event. Mm. So they were like, hey, every five years, you have to have something like going back to school. And so I'm like, can I travel for this? And like, well, yeah, of course. And so I'm like, boom, we're going to Spain. So we ended up in Malaga for a month uh-huh. going to school. And here's what I love about Spain. And, and I wonder if this holds true just nationwide or if this is... A, cultural thing, but it was interesting because we showed up and um, the thing that I feared the most ended up, ended up being the thing I loved the most, which was I, had, I stayed with a family. Um, and I was like, oh gosh, I don't want to stay in some stranger's home and have to make awkward small talk. And I, whether the luck of the jaw or whatever, the people that I ended up staying with were just remarkable. They were incredible. And they had this little apartment, you know, about three blocks from the school if you've been to Malaga, you know, it's a big city. I mean, a million people or so. It's not, it's right there on the, right there on the coast. So the first day we showed up and we're like, all right, so what's our schedule like? So when does school start? She says, oh, very early. I said, oh, okay. I said, she said, 9 a.m. I'm like, <laughs> I'm a military guy. I'm up at four or five. That's a 9 a.m. is sleeping in. So that was my first hint that something was different. That's very early because nothing in this village starts before 10 a.m. 
Yeah, 9 a.m. was was the crack of dawn. Absolutely. Yeah, and so we, I remember. So I remember that first day. Go to you know, woke up at the crack of dawn, 9 a.m. I'd been up for like three hours. Actually, I take that back. The first day we got there in the middle of the afternoon, and we decided to go out. Me and a couple other people I'd traveled with just sort of went went out on foot to explore our neighborhood, and everything was closed. Everything. It's three o'clock in the afternoon or whatever it was, and there was not a single store, restaurant, bar, nothing, man. They was all home napping. Yeah. And I'm like, this is brilliant. <laughs> Let's go back to the house and take a nap. So we did that. But yeah, so when we found out that was the rhythm of life, you know, our school right. started at 9 a.m. We were done by lunchtime. We'd go back to our little pad. The mamacita would make us the most enormous meal we've ever had in our lives. And we would go and slip into a food coma for two or three hours and then yep. be up till two or three in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. It was fantastic. I was like, I could get used to this. <laughs> I have gotten used to it. And now it's going to be really a challenge when I come back to the States. Yeah. So, I can imagine it was, it was tough. I'm like, man, I, I like this. And that, the other thing that was interesting was, and the, the, the meal times really threw me, you know, cause you know, breakfast was nothing, you know, piece of toast and thing of yogurt, something. Lunch was, massive. I mean, three right. or four or five courses, eggs on everything for some reason, I guess, because that's the cheaper protein you can get. Um, and then dinner was likewise, usually very light. But this was in the summertime. We were in uh, Malaga in July and August. Mm. And I remember going down to that, walking down to the beach to walk around. There's all these restaurants that are on the beach. And uh, all of their tables are now out on the boardwalk. And there are entire families. I'm talking mom, dad, kids, three or four generations of people sitting at these tables having a meal and it's midnight. And that's when they're having dinner. Right. And I'm like, cool, because it's finally freaking cool. Right. <laughs> like, right. But yeah, it was awesome. And I, 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 I think about it often. Okay, so it, this seems to be a, a lifestyle within Spain, correct? Does this kind of lifestyle translate to the Camino? Does that the Camino kind of work that way too? I mean, do you, is starting on the Camino at like nine or 10, like the norm or do people kind of go with their own rhythm? Um, the, it's really interesting because the pilgrim rhythm is very different from the Spanish rhythm. And yeah. actually for a lot of people from the States, uh, from the Americas, it sort of is a conflict. Because on the Camino, you, especially in the summer, you want to be out walking at uh, six o'clock in the morning. You you want to you want to walk in the cool hours. Right. There's no place to get coffee. <laughs> <laughs> That's a crime. You, you are stuffing your pockets with things left over from last night's dinner. Wow. And then at about nine o'clock, you'll be stopping somewhere for breakfast. And then, of course, at two o'clock. Uh, all the cafes and the restaurants are packed with the locals eating enormous lunches, which you may or may not want. Right. Because you're going to keep walking usually. And then in the evening, you're really hungry and you're ready for a meal. Mm -hmm. And the cafes don't open up again until, if you're lucky, 8 o'clock. Usually 8.30 or 9. So one of the things that has helped the, the people that I take with me is that because of the places that we stay, they're willing to give us an early breakfast and they're willing to serve us dinner at 7 or 7.30 in the evening, et cetera. But it, it is, it's so interesting because the Spanish people are so hospitable and so gracious. 
Yeah. But they're not willing to change their eating schedule for the pilgrim schedule. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> And, and I mean, there's hospitable, so, and right. then there's then there's hospitable. I mean, we well, can't yeah. push them too far. Yeah. I mean, like, you want me to do what? No, well, no I'm not doing you that. You came into our house, and this is what we do. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that, that's that's what we would do, right? I mean, we were like, you know, uh, it does. You know, I I feel like a lot of this we're trying to we're talking about like like the technical stuff, but I think that's kind of important because especially with people who have never really considered this or never really thought about this as maybe something they would do, these are some really important questions. And you know, as you're talking, you're talking about food and you're talking about you know where you're gonna sleep. I mean, it does bring up the question is like, this is not your normal routine of a day or a week or a month. How do, how do you even compensate for like caloric intake? I mean, how do you, because you could very easily, if you try to live like, like if I was to go say on the Camino and try to live like I live now, I'd probably starve to death. Not because I want to, but because I'm not thinking that way, right? You're, you're, you're exercising more, you're using more calories. I mean, is it, is it, do you guys have to feel like that you have to like take stuff with you as you go? It, certainly, um, um, I am always taking a lot of f- small fruits with me. But the thing on the Camino is, is that it, it's a lot of agricultural land. Mm-hmm. There are a few places that I would call wilderness, but not often. So when you're walking, you're usually three or four kilometers away from the next cafe, the next uh, okay. cafes here are called bars. So not for alcohol, but for coffee, for um, tea, a roll, etc. So you you are not far away from food services, and they are wonderful gathering places for the pilgrims. It is it's just such a delight to pull in at nine thirty in the morning and find the cafe just filled with people who've been walking this morning and the the camaraderie, the sisterhood and the brotherhood in uh, amongst pilgrims from all over the world is truly uh, inspirational. And one of the things that people may not be aware of is that the Camino effectively died for about 150 years. Starting in the early 1800s, people stopped walking. Uh, A lot of the original routes, the lands were sold off and the maps were lost. And after World War II, there was a priest, Catholic priest, and he, his, the anniversary of his death was just a few days ago in December. And he had this idea. He said, to heal the divisions of Europe, if we can get people walking together side by side, that that will really help bring the, the cultures and the peoples of Europe back together. And so he single-handedly went all over Europe and talked about this walking tradition and did research to discover where the old roots were and then went out um, in Spain and started painting what's become the symbol of the Camino, which are the yellow arrows. And, And the reason that they are yellow is because yellow was the cheapest paint and it's also highly visible. I love that. But here, this one individual had a dream about bringing people together and look at what it's done now. He started doing this in the 1950s. He he started going around Spain painting arrows in the 1980s. And now 
roughly 400,000 to 500,000 people a year are walking, talking, finding commonality. It's just, it's one of the most miraculous things ever. I love that story. I mean, I love the, I love the idea of, of just how sometimes just a small spark of something can ignite and all of a sudden you've got, you've got something amazing. Probably, I'm probably way more than he ever imagined it would be. It's very inspirational, isn't it, John? I just make, you want to go yeah. walk, man? Uh, yeah, I do. And I, I think just like you, and I think like a lot of people who are, who are going to listen to this, it's all about logistics, right? It's like, but it's, it's interesting that you brought up that there are people who do for, for shorter times or for like short distances over many years. So that, that's appeals to me just because of the work environment I'm in, the, the likelihood of me getting, I mean, getting two weeks off in a row for me is, is hard. Um, but I understand. I, yeah. I mean, and, and it's one my, of those my things that like, wants to come, my, my nephew is a physician and he yeah. desperately wants to come walking with me and like, come, come on for eight or nine days. Yeah. You will be, you will be amazed at what eight or nine days of walking in Spain will do for you. Do not make time the reason to not do a Camino. There is something about this place and about this land, which is ancient. And we, not only do we forget that this is the first Christian country in Europe, but we also forget that when our ancestors came up from Africa, that Spain is the oldest culture of Europe, that they were in Spain for something like 30,000 years before going across the Pyrenees into France. Wow. The cave paintings in Spain are much older than the cave paintings that we're all familiar with in, in France. Hmm. And you just, the, the first human community in Europe has been discovered in Spain. And I could go on and on and on, but it's like this land is ancient and rich and very, very spiritual. And I think for a lot of people like me, we feel like if we try to scrunch it down into a more short time, that we are going to somehow miss the the beauty of it. And I think what what I'm understanding from you say is if if you come to it with that I you know if you come to it with this idea like okay I got two weeks I got to do as much as I can as quickly as I possibly can you probably are going to miss it. But if you come with okay I have I have 10 days I have 12 days to enjoy this walk and Okay, so I don't make it as far as someone who goes for 90 days or 70 days or whatever. You can still walk away with it with a life-changing experience. Absolutely. Do not put a destination on yourself. And isn't that some, isn't that kind of like an American thing? Oh, it is. Oh, my goodness. It is. And, and I, I will say that uh, with the people that come and walk with me, and especially those that come from the States, they really have to unlearn this. Yeah, um, I have tried to say this in, in every way that I can say it before they come over here, but they eventually unlearn about a destination. I don't care whether it's the ocean or Santiago or some other place in Spain. Just enjoy the days that you have and where you walk. Where you end up is where you end up. That The, the beauty of the Camino is... There really is no start place. There really is no end place. It is one of these incredible experiences of be here now. See, that's that's a that's a pretty big eye opener for me, and I, I'm going to assume it's going to be an eye opener for a lot of people. That 
one of the big stumbling blocks for me, and I think Nat also is that it's always been time that I, I can't give that much time. And it's, right. it's really refreshing and really kind of changing my attitude towards the potential of doing something like this, knowing that I just assumed that there is, you know, that there was a starting point, there's an ending point, and that you have to do this whole thing and you have to get it, you have to get from this point to this point, and you're going to have to give yourself the time you need to walk 500 miles. It's, right. it's a huge, you know, it's huge to know that that's, that's not part of it. And oh. uh, I guarantee you that I'm not the only one who thinks that way. And it's, uh, it's, I mean, for me, and I, I, I'm not going to speak for Nat. Or, well, not this time. I have before, but not this time. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, it definitely, it definitely opens up some, some opportunities or some thoughts for me that I was thinking, I'm not going to be able to do this until I retire. There's just no way. There's, it's never going to happen until I retire. And it's, it's, it's a very positive outcome to think, okay, maybe I don't have to wait till I'm 65 or 64 or however old I'm going to be when I retire to do this. Because I'm like, you know, I'm 51 now. I don't want to wait that long. I really don't. And so it's, it's a beautiful thought to know that maybe I don't have, you know, that I don't have to wait that long. So I'm, I'm really encouraged by that. And I hope other people are too. And I, I also really, I want to emphasize, and I mean, there's, every reason to come and just walk. Yeah. There is something else here. Yeah. And I don't know quite how to describe it. But it, so many people do come just because they want to walk and they discover another element that they weren't thinking about. That's mysterious. I like it. <laughs> I know you, you've, written a, you've written a book about this, right? I've written a book about returning from Camino. Returning from, okay. And what, so, so was that about sort of the, the adjustment of like having to come back to whatever normalcy looks like after you've been yes. on this profound sort of, yes. okay. And, and I mean, it, it's for somebody who's done any number of days. Right. But really, um, and I've had, I've had people coming home from missionary work. I've had veterans coming home from a difficult war assignment. I've had people coming back from cancer talk about what this book is because it's really talking about coming back to everyday life when you've had an out-of-usual experience of something. And the shock and the unsettling effect it is to come back. And I, I remember for me, having been in Spain for a couple of weeks on my first Camino and coming home and walking into a grocery store, from these little stores where you would go in to buy food that had three shelves with with two tin cans sitting there and, and really there being enough. And then coming home and walking into a store where there was aisle upon aisle upon aisle, I was overwhelmed. I had to turn around and go back. I had to leave. I, I couldn't. The, the muchness of life in the States, which we adjust to, you come and you spend just a small amount of time with so little and discover that your life is so rich with so little. Yeah. And, and then coming home to the muchness is like, whoa. People have this idea that they change on the Camino. And that's not really what happens to me. What happens is on the Camino, I awaken 
to some ideas about what I might want to do. But it's when I get back home and I'm in my usual everyday life and I discover, oh, this thing that used to bring me such joy is like, no, I don't think that's quite it anymore. It's really coming home after what happens on the Camino that's really the change agent. Yeah. Well, and then are, are there are there things that you can incorporate then, I mean, principles that you can kind of apply and say, okay, well, I, I'm not on the Camino, but the Camino can still be with me. Absolutely. And I sort of carry this through, this sense of presence. And, you know, because I, I think that's what's lacking in so yeah. much of what we do is 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 we're so busy. You know, our lives are so full of whatever. And then it's almost like we're we're on the outside watching it happen and not even participating. And so to be fully present anywhere is a is is something that we have to be intentional about. It's true. And one of the, the exercises, I don't know if somebody else has written about it. I think I'm the first person that has written about this, is that I ask people on their last day here in Spain to sit down and write a letter to themselves about all the, the lessons and things that they want to remember about their time here. And then seal that letter and don't open it up for 60 to 90 days. And people are shocked how when they read that letter to themselves just two months later, how much they've already forgotten. And and it's the reason that I want them to write it right before they leave here. Because as soon as you get to the airport, amnesia and the culture Mm -hmm. starts pulling you away from it. Yeah. And um, having that letter really becomes an anchor to keep reading and keep reminding and keep making new choices. But you also need to sort of have the experience of forgetting it and then coming back and seeing it again. Yeah, no, that all makes yeah. that makes sense, man. Yeah, it's a lot to take in, but I think it's 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 really when you talk about the 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 I don't remember the word you use, but the abundance, right? The abundance of just stuff that we have in this the culture. Muchness. The muchness. I like that word. But there's abundance there too, right? But it's an abundance of connection with people. It's an abundance of a connection to the to the to nature around you. To it's an abundance of asking you to step out of your your everyday routine of normal what we what Especially in America, what we consider normalcy of, uh, being able to get whatever we want, whenever we need it, however much of it we want. And then to leave that. And in that scarcity of stuff, you find an abund- abundance of connections instead, yeah. connections with people, connections with nature, connections with the divine, connections with some kind of spirit. And like you're saying, then you kind of, you go back into that world of muchness and you have to find a way to hold on to what you, what you saw or felt there. Uh, I really, that really does, uh, ring just like a true thing to write yourself a letter. Uh, I, I like that. I think, I think that's something you could take into just our everyday life as, as there are moments in our lives, right? Where something happens that, that pulls us out of this. This need to be commercial, to be uh, so filled with this. And so we have those moments and maybe that's the time to write yourself a letter and say, hey, remember this. Remember this moment. And then, you know, hold on to that. You know, people, I understand people journal and all that. But I mean, I'm talking about being intentional on 
taking that moment. When those, when those moments happen, I really like that idea. I think that's something you could take and use in your everyday lives as, as these moments happen that you connect with on a much spiritual, more divine level than, you know, the everyday. Um, I really, I really like that. I mean, maybe this is too dramatic, but in this past year, I had to have some surgery, fairly serious surgery, and recovery was much longer than what the doctors thought it was going to be. And I remember sitting down in the recovery process as it went on and on and on and writing myself a letter. Yeah. About what I wanted to remember about this experience when life had sort of returned to its usualness. Yeah. Um, I've talked about this on our, on, on the podcast before. Uh, I, I broke my leg pretty bad and I was out of work for six months. And, um, mm. that was when I reconnected with some kind of faith. You know, I was outside of faith completely. I wasn't, uh, there was no connection to any kind of spiritual. I mean, I, I always dabbled and I, you know, I, I felt like something was missing, but in those six months was that time of where the normalcy was, was completely derailed. And that's, so I think, yeah, I, th- I think there's a lot to be said about, you know, taking the time in those places where our normal is kind of bumped out of, out of whack. And maybe, th- maybe, you know, I'm not going to say, I, I, I don't take this, anyone listening as me thinking God has stepped in and made me break my leg or God has stepped in and made you have to have this surgery. That's not what I'm saying. But no. I think there's definitely, it's important to take those moments as, Chances to reevaluate. I don't think it's that bizarre to, I mean, we see this over and over again. People have taken these, like, these, these moments and that's, that's been when they can reevaluate a lot about their, their lives. And, and I think church can mess that up when they say, well, hey, you know, this is God telling you, right? This is God speaking to you. And I don't think that's what it is, but there's definitely something spiritual connected to these moments where we can get out of our normalcy. Yeah. Hey, uh, before we run out of time, because we could talk about this for, yeah. I, f- I really feel like, like I, every time we talk, I feel like this, um, yeah. that we could talk for all kinds of time about all kinds of stuff, but I don't want to, I don't want to miss an opportunity to talk about um, this class that you have that's launching in, in February. Uh, it's called Shift, right? Well, the, the uh, organization that is sponsoring me is called the Shift Network. Okay, got you. Okay, the shift, the shift network. network. Shift network. And your class is then called. It's it's a seven week class called Four Paths, One Journey. Okay, and cool. it's talking about the four parts of the journey of initiation, of the journey of transformation, and connecting how each part is one of the Christian gospels. So, oh wow, okay. Matthew is the first part of the journey. Mark is the second part. John is the third, and Luke acts is the fourth. Okay. So I'm both teaching the universal paths of transformation and and what this journey is like in our life, and also connecting it to the gospels. So, um, uh, just just as a reminder, um, that will be live. It's it's live on Tuesdays, starting February okay. the first. And if you can't make it live, I think live is nine o'clock on the Pacific Coast. It also will it'll be a recording that you'll receive later in the day. That's exciting. I, that's uh, that's something I need to look into. Um, you've talked about that. I think you briefly mentioned that concept of the four paths um, the last time we talked, and uh, it's kind of rattled around in my head a little bit ever since then. I like that. I like that sense of of continuity, even though there's something unique and different in each of those gospel tellings, 
I like that. It's one of those things that um, that in spite of my problems, <laughs> my my issues that I sometimes have with scripture, it's why I'm still compelled by all of it, you know, because once you, once you remove yourself from the shackles of literalism and, and whatever else you might do to scripture, whatever you've twisted and messed it up to, you know, to fit it into your own agenda, man, there's still, there's still enough there yeah. um, to keep me interested. You know, as a matter of fact, it's way more yeah. interesting once I've got out of that, you know, of that need, but every great religion and spiritual tradition has the four paths and they have them in a particular sequence, which is exactly the same sequence that we have in the four Christian gospels. So okay. without, without giving too much away, is that that sequence that you just said, it was initiation transformation or was that, or was that something else that you were speaking of? No, I mean, it's the journey of transformation. Initiation is just a fancy word for transformation or change. Okay, cool. All right. That is interesting. So yeah, that's something I would definitely want to, um, if y'all want to um, 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 connect with that, I'm sure we can find a way to put a, a link uh, in our show notes and make sure that, that yeah. we, we provide a way for people to connect with that. Great. Yeah. And then I'm, I'm sure you're like, you know, like, like so many others, you're probably working on your, your, your next three or four books. <laughs> um, be, because of my illness this past year, I'm way behind on finishing the 13 days of Christmas, but I am committed to that being out by, by next fall, by fall of 2022. Oh, okay. That's great. So yeah, more, more awesome content to look forward to, man. That is cool. John, you look like a guy. With something on your mind, I, how can you even say that? I mean, do I ever look like I have something on my mind? No, you look you look like a guy who might have just done something he's not proud of. That's right. He's he's you know, what you can't see is he's over here on his phone. He's looking yeah. up. He's looking at like, plane tickets. Like, right. What's it going to cost? I just got a new uh, credit card, so. With yeah. no balance where would I on fly it. into? Where, 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 okay, let's go back to the Camino. Where does one <laughs> fly into? Do you fly into like Paris? Um, or do you fly to like Barcelona? Or um, that's probably too far south, right? I mean, no, well, I mean, they're, 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 you're going to have to do a, a train ride regardless, but Paris, Barcelona, or probably the most common is Madrid. Oh, okay. So Madrid's kind of central, right? Yeah. I mean, my Spanish geography is not great, but I remember flying when we went to, uh, when I did go to Malaga. Um, we flew into Madrid right. and took a little puddle jumper down to down to Malaga. So you can you can fly into Paris and take the train down to Saint Jean Pierre Port, or you, you can go. fly into Madrid and take the train to Pamplona and get a bus from Pamplona. It's about an hour from Pamplona by bus to Saint Jean Pierre Port. See, all kinds of stuff to do, and you can pack in a few days for sightseeing. You could go down to the. <laughs> we had such a good time, man. We we. Uh, I don't know. I, I I gravitate back towards just how much how much fun I how much I enjoyed Spain in general. Um, but I didn't get to spend too much time in the northern part of the country. Yeah, and it's all very different. I mean, maybe every very country is like yeah. this, but the south of Spain and where I am are like different worlds. Well, and I, I think it's striking because how small Spain really is. That there is that yeah that vast difference between regions you go i don't know it was interesting My, the most interesting thing that that i experienced in spain was going to gibraltar have you mm. been to gibraltar yet i have not here so gibraltar is a is is still an english 
protectorate. I don't even know a territory. It's technically UK soil when you go to Gibraltar. So right, it's right. So you, we took a bus, me and three or four people from who I traveled with, and we took a bus to Gibraltar. And it's the most surreal thing in the world because you, 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 they drop you off. You have to walk across an active runway because there's a (laughs) tiny little English Air Force base there, little fighter jets. I mean, so you walk across this active runway, you go into a tunnel and then you fall and, and you emerge on the other side of this tunnel in England for all intents and purposes. I mean, you go from Spain and you, and you like come out into the sunshine after this tunnel and you go, Oh my gosh, there are bobbies in like full blown, like which, you know, um, in their, in their bobby costumes and there are red telephone booths and there are people selling fish and chips. And all of a sudden the, the euro is not accepted. It's the British pound. It's, it's everything's in sterling. And it is the most jarring experience, man. But very cool. So there you go. If you uh, if you get a chance to check out, and of course you can take a you can take a little trolley to the top of the rock. As soon as COVID lifts and I can freely travel, I'm I'm gone. It's worth it's worth the trip. If for no other reason than I don't know how you feel about heights, but you can take that little tram thing up up to the top of the Rock of Gibraltar mm. um, from where you can see the coastline of of, of Africa. Mm-hmm. I mean, and realize how very close you are. And then, of course, there are the free-roaming rock apes right. that run around and try to <laughs> throw poo at you and steal your wallet. <laughs> it is... Have you, have you heard of these? They have these giant... They're macaques. They're, they're, these are big monkeys, man. Seriously? I'm talking like... Yeah, no, they, 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 they wander all over the rock. You'll see oh. them... You'll see them, like, hunkered down in places find, trying to find shade. And these aren't, like, little spider monkeys, man. These are, like, 150-pound... Like rip your face off macaques, <laughs> and uh, there are signs. I have, I have to find a picture of it, John. There's a picture of a sign that's put up by the by the government that says, "You know, not responsible for items stolen by free roaming rock apes." <laughs> <laughs> because they're apparently they're notorious thieves too. They will straight up like come up and steal your camera. They'll pick po- they'll pick your pocket. Anything they think is shiny, they'll they'll grab it and like. I was, I'll tell you this story and then we'll move on to something that's less funny. But I I was traveling with this guy and he was kind of a, kind of a goofball, but about six foot three, this guy and kind of a big dude. And I look over at him and oh my God, there's one of those freaking monkeys sitting on his shoulder. I mean, it's a smaller one, but it's like literally camped out on his shoulder. And he's just like, Hey, this is it. And he's feeding it peanuts or whatever. And he's just like, he's just chilling on this dude's shoulder. The funny part was he was wearing a white shirt. And he walked around the rest of the day with a with a skid mark on his shoulder <laughs> that he had to explain to very very many people about why there was poo on his shoulder from the free roaming rock eight. There we go. Yeah, I, I want to take you to this to this corner of Spain. Yeah, which people don't realize is under the west coast of Ireland. There's actually, right, right. There's actually an argument about which is further west, the west coast of Ireland or this corner of Spain. Yeah, and I think geographically you are right farther west than yes. And this is the, uh, the best archaeology today. Is this is the homeland of the Celts? The Celts yeah. are here hundreds of years before they migrate to the Isles. So the earliest Celtic cities and villages are here in Galicia. That is so cool. And when you're here, people. Where kilts and there's bagpipes and it's wild. Yeah, that is so. Wow, wow. All right, see, all you're doing is telling me that I need to I need to book my trip pretty soon. So that's amazing, man. 
so much to talk about, so much to do. Don, you should go. You ready? We'll share a beer and I'll buy the olives. Man, <laughs> oh, it sounds great. Beer and green olive. Have you tried this, John? No, I haven't. Well, you I've, should. I, I'll, I'll give it a shot. Uh, apparently, now I've, I just found out that, that, that that's a southern coast. That's a southern Spain thing, not necessarily right. a... So, and maybe maybe just because of the abundance of olive groves, um, that was actually the the guy that I stayed with, uh, the family, I, family, a couple. Um, he was a retired architect, and she was a school teacher, and they had a summer home. Mm-hmm. That's how affluent these guys were, right? They had a they had a summer home, and at their summer home, they had olive trees and orange groves and all kinds of beautiful stuff. But yeah, the olives were just everywhere, and uh, and fresh fish because you're on the coast, so they did this thing. Where they they and I've never had sardines this way before, but they they cooked them whole on a on a skewer over like over coals on the beach. Hmm. So you'd walk down the beach at night, and there'd be these little boat shaped um, um, barbecue pits basically on the beach with hot coals, and they're and they're just out there cooking these skewers of of, of large sardines, and then just bring them to the table and just slap the whole thing down, pour some lemon juice on it, and like oh beautiful. Now I'm hungry, John. <laughs> I'm hungry. And I feel like we've digressed. There's so much, so much to do. Um, I, I'm excited. I'm excited about. Uh, I'm excited about your course because I really want to take a look at that, and I really hope I can be a part of that. If not live, certainly I'll, I'll try and catch the recordings. Excited about all the stuff you've got going on, and really excited about the prospect of maybe taking part in in this Camino sometime in the near future. Maybe I can talk my brother into going with me. We'll go <laughs> hang out and, and uh, take a long walk. What do you say? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I've, hey. had, I've had brothers walk with me. That would be great. John? Well, I just, uh, all I have to say is, uh, um, once again, thank you very much for giving us the time and chatting with us. Uh, you have really given me a lot to think about, and I hope our listeners a lot to think about when it comes to our ideas of what the Camino is or how it has to be done. Uh, I think the biggest thing that I'm taking away from this conversation is there's really no half has to be done this way. And that's, that I hope. Uh, encourages a lot of people to look into this as something something worth worth tr- worth trying worth giving a shot to um and um yeah i mean that's that's what i'm walking away from with this mostly is like okay get out of my american idea of everything has to have a start <laughs> and a finish right um and just learn to accept the the, the journey right right and uh, so, yeah, I, I just appreciate it. If you it. want to physically enflesh your mindfulness and be here now, yeah. come on. Yeah. <laughs> 100% physically enflesh your mindfulness. I love that. Perfect. And that's how we'll tag it. That's your title for the show, John. The physical enfleshment of your mindfulness. <laughs> that's awesome. I do love it. Dude. All right. All right, man. Peace out. Thank you, guys, man. I wish you a great 2022. Absolutely. Same to you. Thank you for listening to This Is Not Church. Be sure to rate and review the podcast on your platform of choice. If you would like to partner with us, visit patreon.com slash thisisnotchurch, where you will receive exclusive content such as early access to episodes, videos of upcoming episodes, and live Q&A sessions. Be sure to check out our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter and Instagram. All the links are in the show notes. We'll be back soon with another episode.